Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the Sunday edition of The Way with Fanoa. I am bringing you another ladies' roundtable. No, guys, I'm not forgetting about you, but I just got some fantastic sisters um, that I just had to bring together. And, 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 you know, we just had to have some conversations with you, just, just, just touch on some issues that have been going on. The last time we all came together was right before the beginning. Oh, I'm on YouTube. Oops. See, I'm a, you see, you see, you see, I'm a, see, look, I'm running my own production and stuff today, and I forgot I had YouTube up <laughs> on the other screen. Because I got confused. I'm like, who's talking? I'm just really talking. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> thank you all for joining me. Thank you so much to my, my wonderful uh, uh, sister. I forget all the names we came up with last night for our team. We got, we, we need a superhero squad name. <laughs> you guys have a, a, a thought, you know, send, shout, shout me, shout out a tweet. Um, but we wanted to come together and talk a little bit. Well, a lot of it about just we, we came together ahead of the DNC um, convention to talk about you know kind of just going into that that convention and kind of the way forward and other opportunities and options. So we wanted to kind of pick up that conversation now. Here we are, early September. We're less than what 70 days um, to the election, and but also looking at you know electoral politics has been of course has been a huge portion of our conversation because it is obviously a presidential election season, but we want to talk about electoral politics and talk about some of the stuff going on around that, but also looking beyond as we talk about building out what our activism looks like, what our work looks like, and, and how does moving forward, what does that mean to even be moving forward? What does it mean for us on an individual level, local level, in our own work? And so I will let my, my guests, who, again, many of you are already familiar with, um, go around and introduce themselves. And then we'll get into the nitty gritty. Yes, we're going to, we're going to talk a little bit about we'll talk about the code of access pipeline. We'll talk a little bit about Hillary Clinton. We'll talk a little bit about if we must, we can talk about Donald Trump. <laughs> um, get a little bit into everyone. See where everyone. I know everyone was very positive. Green party two months ago, almost when we talked. Let's see where we'll take another. See where everyone <laughs> is now. Um, and just really talk about kind of some of the other movements that come up, some of the other opportunities, and, and how we're all you know, moving forward. What we need to be doing. So I will start with. Because uh, you guys are not on the screen the same way. I'll start with, since Wendy is right to my left, I'll go with Wendy first, and then we can go around and Rick and introduce themselves again. Okay. Um, hi, again. My name is Wendy Muse, and I'm a fourth-year PhD at NYU in history. Um, and I work on specifically on Brazilian and Portuguese African history um, during the Cold War. And I'm a lefty. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, hey guys, I'm Hugh. I'm currently an uh, engineering material science engineer uh, in my senior year, and I specifically have interest in uh, systems engineering and biomimicry stuff to apply in a way um, to reclaim and, uh, clean resources in various, uh, obviously everywhere that's polluted, uh, different types of communities. Hello. Hey. Hey. Can you guys hear me? We can hear yeah. you. Introduce yourself. Hi. This is Kieran. Hi, everybody. Hello. Sorry, I was having some technical issues oh, before. No, you're so. fine. <laughs> you are fine. We are all here together. This is excellent. Great. So, shall I introduce myself? Yes. Okay. I'm Dr. Amina. I'm a psychology professor in the Baltimore area, and I specialize in psychology of race and racism and psychology of women. 
Hello, everyone. Um, my name is Becky Alfaro. I am a marriage and family therapy clinician. Uh, I also teach a comprehensive sex education program to uh, ninth graders in the inner city at-risk uh, population as well. Is that everybody? What sweet. And we are, I think that maybe she might have had some technical difficulties, but if it can work out, we're also going to be joined by my big sister, my mentor, Stacey Hopkins from down here in Atlanta. Um, you guys already know me. I know Chaga. Yay. Um, so so I'm, I know I mentioned before, wanting to pull together like groups of women to have conversations. And again, I'm not dissing the dudes. I mean, guys, I love your input, but I really find that there's so few opportunities for women women of color, women of different backgrounds and stuff to really come together and have discussion about pressing, you know, pressing issues affecting us right now going on and looking at our political future as a whole, right? Um, and, and one of the things that we, we've all, you know, all of us from our different levels of engagement stuff have been talking about is this current election cycle. Of course, you know, we all look beyond the election cycle, but so much that has been focused on and talked about, of course, follows, you know, focuses on this election cycle, but as women, right, as we're looking at the first major party, you know, candidate as a woman, you know, potential for as president as a woman, so much has been put upon, you know, women and women leadership and feminism and own your feminism. And I know we talked about what does that even look like for us? What does that mean as we go forward? What, what is my feminism? What is my activism going to be? And how does that relate to, to, to the work that we're doing? What should that look like? And how do we as feminists, right, how does we, do we as women in the struggle in the movement also not only support other women doing work, but hold them accountable as well for the work that they're, they, for what they say they're allegedly doing? So um, I don't know who would like to start, but I'll turn it over to whoever would like to jump in there kind of and get the conversation rolling. Great. Well, Hi everyone, I came in a little late, so I'll just pop in because every uh, I, I might as well. Um, this is this is Kieran. Some of you already know me. I'm Kieran Opal, um, and I I love this topic. I love sitting down with these amazing people, um, and thank you again for inviting me to another one of these awesome panels. Um, I love I, I want to talk. I I think that it's really important at this point to talk about what's next and how. Like Anoa said, um, where do we go from here? Because uh, we had a few of these, a couple of these conversations already at different points in the primary, you know, at different points during the election cycle. Uh, and at this point, I think we need to really think about where we're going next. Because I personally, uh, you know, as, as I'm sure some of you know, I'm not a big fan of Hillary Clinton, but of course, I'm definitely not a big fan of Donald Trump. Um, but we have to look at what's there now, and I, I feel like. It's really important. I, I feel like we're sort of seeing, especially in, in North America and the U.S., uh, but it sort of reverberates everywhere, a change in how feminism and how women's rights are going to be seen from here on out, um, especially if Hillary wins, which I'm pretty sure she will, uh, but um, the way things are going now. Uh, but, you know, how does that affect women's rights and how does that affect feminism and how you know, a white, rich, sort of, you know, a very well-connected woman getting to this position of power, in a way, it's still great, you know, yes, but what, what does it leave out? You know, the women of color, 
uh, women from other nationalities, poorer women from, from working class and poorer backgrounds. Um, and I think that's really important that we sit and we really discuss this and also what's going to happen once, you know, we've seen in the primary, sorry not to hog the whole time, but some of the questions that come up for me were what's going to happen once she is um, in a position of power and, uh, you know, besides the Senate and uh, State uh, um, Secretary of State, which she has been. And if she, if she does something that is, you know, are we able to criticize her as we would any other politician? Um, when does that become sexism? Because we've seen some of that, even I've seen some of that actually happening. There is actual sexism in some of the critiques that I'm seeing of hers. Um, so how do, we, how do we juggle that? How do we balance that? What is our role as women of color um, in some of these uh, debates? So I'll hand that back. Okay, I'll jump in. This is Dr. Amina. I shared with the group earlier that um, this election season has opened my eyes up to electoral politics. And when Hillary Clinton is elected president, which I believe that she will be elected president, nothing about what I've been exposed to changes and nothing about what needs to be transformed changes. And I realize that, um, you know, there are about 10 or 11 major electoral politic projects that still require our attention from my perspective. Um, and just to give a list of what those are, I think the issues of um, a brand new Congress, whether it actually moves through brand new Congress, but that idea that uh, we need to replace U.S. Congress all at once and, and the strategy of launching a national style political campaign to do that I think is a smart one and, and I think the idea to support candidates throughout their tenure in Congress by this outside agency so that they don't give in to the temptations of lobbyists once they get into Washington is a smart one and that needs our attention. So that's one major project. Um, move to amend, overturning Citizens United is a project. Um, trying to think of the Commission on Presidential Debates. Like this entire season has opened our eyes to what is wrong with our electoral politics and some of the issues that Kiran brought up in ways that the way that we have our electoral politics structured now keep women and keep disenfranchised populations out of power and out of influence. And so all of these things for me still require my attention after November is over. You know, before the Commission on Presidential Elections took over, the League of Women Voters had a very different standard for presidential candidates to qualify for debate. And that standard was, were you on enough ballots to possibly win the electoral votes to win the election? If the answer was yes, then you qualify for the debate, in which case both Jill Stein and Gary Johnson would now qualify for our presidential debates. But that opportunity has been closed, and I think that that there needs to be pushback on that. The superdelegate system, we realize we don't like. We need to continue to fight uh, fight that. Will the open primaries? We want open primaries. These things aren't just going to happen magically, and I don't want us to be back in this place four years later, not having made substantial ground on these issues. Restoration of voting writing, voting acts for voting rights. Excuse me, for formerly incarcerated. Um, issues with election fraud, technological advances with the election process, 
Um, those things need to happen, automatic voter registration. I've said to the group that looks like something that will happen, but we need to stay on top of these things. And it's especially important, I think, to stay on top of them once the limelight of a national presidential election goes dim. And I also share with the group the, the, uh, that I realize that this very much intersects with my feminism because of the number of roles that I have taken on that I embody as a woman by choice. There's a lot of reciprocity in those relationships. But I'm a professional teacher. I'm a mother. I'm a wife. Um, I'm a sister, daughter, aunt, niece, etc. friend, mentor. Because of all of these roles and all of these strains, which can they can be strains, I have to be very strategic and focused with respect to my political activism. And so I work best when I have concrete projects. And so electoral politics writ large, although there are many ways to enact change, electoral politics writ large, and then these smaller projects, which they aren't, not, not one of them is small, are how I'm going to be focusing my energy. Um, I can go next because I think some of the contributions that I wanted to make have a bridge between um, what Dr. Amina said and what Kieran said. Um, I think one of the problems that we fall into oftentimes is that we believe that there's this sort of false dichotomy between outside of politics and inside of politics. So you hear this a lot about um, the need to push from outside um, or versus, you know, versus pushing from within or fighting from within. And I think it has to be a twofold project. I know personally I can't contribute much to uh, fighting from within because I have no interest to go into politics, at least not anymore. Um, but I, I think that in my role as someone who's an educator and someone who's looking to eventually write a book and write articles about my research and things like that, um, that it's important to reinforce the significance of history. And not only that, but in the process, reinforces significance and the presence, the visibility of people of color, women of color, women of all races, any gender, sexuality, et cetera, the diversity on the left. Um, because one of the things that I see happening oftentimes, and I talked about this a little bit last time, but there's this extreme aggressive co-opting of our movements. Mm -hmm. um, there is a really aggressive silencing of our movements or even of our existence. We see it on Twitter, but it also happens obviously way beyond Twitter. Um, and I think that even the most well-meaning white leftists oftentimes end up being at the forefront. And we have to really make sure that we are heard and seen no matter what, even if we get blocked, even if we get ignored, keep pushing against that uh, pattern because it's to our detriment to continue to be silenced um, and to basically siphon off a large part of the electorate or a large part of the, the country in general into thinking that, okay, we don't exist. It's just the white thing to be on the left. It's just a... a maybe a white feminist hipster thing, if at all, uh, to be on the left, and that's not the case. Um, the last thing, really quickly, uh, is one of the things that Adolf Reed said when he spoke uh, recently to Ben in his interview, um, he mentioned that oftentimes identity politics ends up reducing movements so that you have uh, people of color or women or other people saying, hey, mm -hmm. what about us? Why isn't this, why isn't this like, economic movement representing us? Um, and that people get lost in the shuffle of focusing on representation as opposed to like investment in those communities and actual work from those people and um, collaborative efforts. And so I think mm -hmm. in order to subvert that, we have to really make sure that, um, you know, I'm not a Hillary supporter. I'm okay with that. I'm not a neoliberal. I'm okay with that. And to be proud of that 
and to be bold about it because I mean, everyone else is pretty boldly doing their thing. Um, so right. why should we hide in the shadows or be sort of obscured in the process? So we, I think we have to get beyond just saying where are all the white people or where are all the black women or where are all the Hispanic women and say, we are these women and we are fighting for these things and you're going to see us whether you like it or not. Yes. Well, and that's something that all of us, that's what I was saying before too, like how this, because I know we're not necessarily like the most, you wouldn't necessarily look at all of us and say, well, okay, it makes sense why they're all together and stuff, but like, but that's what it has been. It has been this uphill struggle, whether you're within like, you know, even if you look at just Bernie supporters as a whole, women as a whole who are on the left, you know, we have spent so much time in different spaces, even amongst so-called allies, proclaiming, you know, we are here. Our voice must be heard. We we have knowledge and, and, and experience that is valuable to this effort that's being led. And and that's what I think is so great about all of us coming together and having this conversation because, you know, it doesn't really matter whether, again, and I tell you guys this all the time, like whether you're going green, other third party, creating brand new parties, staying inside, for those of us who feel like we do have this imperative to push the needle to have these discussions, I'm open to encouraging, supporting, and keeping that dialogue going because it's absolutely necessary no matter what we do and where we go. Um, so yeah, so I, I think I think what you guys have been saying so far is absolutely, you know, correct. Just to um, touch on sort of um, exactly the idea of access also mm -hmm. and sort mm -hmm. of amplifying the platform, I think that um, like you just made a really good point of just the work that it takes to just be acknowledged. Mm -hmm. to have them say like oh they exist I mean the the, the amount of uh, work that was done by Bernie supporters that's done by Green Party at this point now and um, like the like the Native Americans with the no dapple like so much work has to be done before their voices are even heard and I think that that is really one of the biggest sort of limitations um, institutional limitations that we have in this country regarding politics because it is very easy to see yourself outside. It is very easy to feel like you don't have access, that you you can't go to these meetings, you can't write these proposals. You, there's, there's a lack of access and I think that challenging that, trying to provide access, whether it's with a automatic, I think automatic voter registration is an amazing step in the right direction. Um, opening parties up, opening primaries up, these things allow for it to not be, so that it is a right and not a privilege, so that it's not just a certain few that are able to speak and be heard and that are able to access this political machine and be able to talk about what their needs are and have their needs met, but everyone. Um, and disproportionately, this everyone is not including women of color, poor women, uh, right. women that may not have the most education, that, that have a lot of struggles, you know, and, and someone else is telling our story. And that's sort of the problem that I've been having with this election throughout the, throughout the entire time. It's just someone else is constantly rewriting this narrative and, it, and it's still happening, you know, and, and now, it's not, now it's not just Hillary doing it, now it's Trump also. And they're just controlling the narrative, and they're just rewriting it constantly, whatever suits their fancy. And it doesn't matter when they get fact-checked. It doesn't matter. Um, it, it, no matter what happens, they it just everything just stays the same. I think that that can be very disheartening for people. And so I think part of the process is reminding people that 
although maybe what we wanted and what we can clearly see should have been the best thing, our option, um, it didn't happen, but we can keep trying and sort of keep motivating people to get involved, to be registered mm -hmm. to vote, to, to look into their into their political parties, to not just say, well, I'll just vote blue, to actually, and to, to challenge. Um, I hear a lot about making sure that we we really hold Hillary's feet to the fire when she wins. And I think that that's a really big challenge, but one that we have to take on because we as women will be responsible for what she does. And it's unfortunate, but it's just the way that it is. We're, it's going to be attributed to her gender, and it's not because that is the role of sexism. So just like Margaret Thatcher. So mm -hmm. it is important, I feel, that women stand up and say what we think is wrong with her policies, when she's not aligning herself with her policies, whether it's walking back on the fight for 15, whether it's not recognizing the sovereignty of the Native Americans in fighting the Dakota Access Pipeline, mm -hmm. things that she's supposed to be present for. Like really trying to, because the, the MSM is not covering it. They're no. not covering that she's moving, that she's changing her policies, that she's going right. They, they praised Tim Kaine, you know, when we it was such a clear violation of of her stating that she's a progressive and then her and then Salazar as well so really it's on us because we can't trust the media to do their job of holding her feet to the fire so it's a big job but that's going to be one of the next steps that we're going to have to do throughout this election process and beyond definitely definitely I think you just touched on something really clear there about when we talk about holding people to the fire we also talk about where do we stand and, and what's going on and what our activism, what our politics is definitely infused with who we are. And for so many of us, I know that there's so many people out there who are like, yes, because Hillary represents this. I mean, we just this week, not to get into all the other issues with this person, but Amy Schumer is like, you know, people who don't support Hillary are ignorant or they don't know anything. It's like, honey, you, you're the one that you, you tweet racist stuff. So it's very clear that you don't really know which way is up. <laughs> but I think what you're saying is absolutely right, Becky. Like, like we have, we have to raise our voices. We have to continue to speak the truth. And and people say hold her foot to the fire, but we we have to m make sure we're driving certain conversations. And we can't back down. Not because we're 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 still talking about old stuff or whatever, but because these are very real issues. Like because she and her brand of women do not represent all of us. I can't I can't speak for you. You can't speak for me. And that's just what it is. You know when you talk about that larger scale. With, with Secretary Clinton. Secretary Clinton comes from a very particular background. She has exhibited and lived her life in a very specific arena. You know, what, what I, will, I will back up for a second and say this about her, though. With Humans of New York, Humans of New York on Facebook had this... Oh, uh, yeah, don't even talk about it. <laughs> I had to. So I got to be balanced. I got to gotta give a little balance, and I'll let y'all, you know, I got I to gotta play devil's advocate here. You know what I'm saying? Then I'll let y'all clear it up. But, um... But so, so Humans in New York does this piece, you know, does a profile. If you follow Humans in New York, you know, you guys will have seen. They've, they've profiled so many different people. I was even a Humans of New York person before. Um, but, but, but part of when they talked with her was about how, you know, the struggle that she had as a young woman trying to become a lawyer in a time when women weren't really accepting the profession. And, and I think what that interview where her, you know, hopefully these are really real quotes from her, you know, but, but the person behind Humans in New York, you know, I think it's someone of, of a good moral character, so I believe it. But what was so interesting about that, everybody's like, see, you know, look at what she had to go through. 
people who have privilege, like 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 people do struggle. Everybody's struggle and hustle is not the same. But what she may have gone through with men upset that she might have taken their spot in, at Harvard is not the same as whatever struggle this woman over here who may be trying to feed her kids is having, right? We got to keep things in perspective. And I think that what it shows is it shows the complexity because, yes, she had to go through a lot to break the glass season, ceiling season, <laughs> to break the glass ceiling to get to a certain upper echelon. But at the same time, with so many of her generation, they have just been trying to break through to get in and be also part of the same white male patriarchal society that oppresses the rest of us. So while I can relate to some of what she's saying in her in that piece, at the same time, I still have to call you out because you still engage in behavior that's repressive to the rest of us. I mean, even her, the backtrack, the flip-flopping on the fight for 15, you know, statement, because I know people recently were like, well, when did she ever say she was for that? I don't know how many of you remember this during the debates and stuff, but Hillary supporters were swearing up and down she was she was for it and stuff like that. She even tried to say she was in the April, um, you know, debate against Bernie in New York. And now, you know, it's a whole nother conversation now that we're trying to swing right to pick up some of those moderate Republicans. Um, but you guys don't have to have the teams in the year piece, but I just want to throw that out there. Like, they are, she, they are trying to humanize her a little bit better. They are trying... To, to make her more relatable, but I wonder, is it too late? Is it too late for us to relate and, and get behind Hillary Clinton? What do you guys think? I... Who wants to go? I'll I'll go uh, yeah, please go ahead. I'm just going to say yes, it's too late for me, but please go ahead. <laughs> okay. This Dr. Mina, it's, it's too late for me. The record doesn't lie. I mean, you can have this and, so all of those things that mm -hmm. they said in Humans of New York can be true, and all of the issues, the moral issues that I take with Hillary Clinton continue to be true, and when I take the sum total together, it's too much for me. Mm -hmm. For me, it kind of relates to just value gaps uh, with respect to intersections of poverty, health, and race. And how um, exploitative, exploitative politics and businesses perpetuate issues of pollution, resource accessibility, uh, you know, gerrymandering, segregation, food security, cultural homogeneity, globalization, mm -hmm. and economic mobility, and that these destroy um, the social and physical health of marginalized communities, and it remodels their lives into a constant fight for survival. Um, I was talking to Ben Spielberg earlier on Twitter, and he gave me a link. I can I forget. At uh, edbuild.org, where it shows a map of uh, an interactive map called Fault Lines of America's Most Segregating School District and Borders, and you can see the, um, I believe, like the employment rate on between, you know, it's like Birmingham and this other community, and I forget, this rich community, I forget what the name it is. This rich community only has an unemployment rate of like 6%, I think, and then you go over to Birmingham, it's like 50% or something. And uh, the amount of money spent per kid and just the inequality that is physically seen is just absolutely ridiculous and it's absolutely irregular. So when white, you know, when white pro-capitalists come in and they romanticize system as, you know, well, if you can make your way through it and tell this, you know, romanticized, romanticized story of American exceptionalism, 
you know, about mm -hmm. this exploitive system or its inception as being inherently better than anywhere else, they failed to consider how this country was redesigned through colonialism to exploit the community and lands of the indigenous peoples and communities of people in color, of right. people of color. And that when these freedoms are given, it's often exclusive. So as to not interrupt colonialization, globalization, and capitalism, therefore, as exploited people are by design limited access to modes of empowerment, and they really can't get the tools or resources they need to or sustain radical movements or get out of poverty um, outside, you know, of white people's favorite you know, modes of communication, language, everything else. And so, you know, Clinton, to me, she's doing all of this, and she's just perpetuating this terrible, awful paradigm, and she's just like, hey, look, I got through it. We need to make more people who are able to get through it. And to me, that just sounds like we need to fix America so that, you know, for these white people who have always been successful in this community and that we just need to do this incremental giving people more freedoms and the people who've always been exploited are just going to continue to be exploited. And so right. really, it just, Clinton doesn't speak to me. She can't unless she just does a complete 180 and she turns into this radical woman who completely destroys capitalism, I guess. But, I mean, at this rate, I don't see it happening. So let's just back up, like, because there has been a lot going on, and then the two of the big, the two biggest things, well, not two biggest, but two of the things that have been dominating the, the news cycle, well, kind of, but our news cycle, right, have been the protest out in North Dakota with the Dakota Access Pipeline, and, of course, we've had, you know, Colin Kaepernick has led, you know, a wave of protests with the Neo. And, and, and Camp Clinton has been essentially silent on both of these two big, big, big issues, right? And when we're talking about, um, earlier in the week I got to speak with Eugene Pergier, host of By Any Means Necessary over on Radio Sputnik, and, and Eugene, um, we, were, we were talking about how can, can Hillary Clinton now, you know, she has courted, kind of courted coming out of, you know, the primary, those moderate Republicans who are, who are grossed out by Donald Trump, for lack of a better term, right? They don't want anything to do with him. They don't want to be bothered. And, and can we bring them on board for her to win the presidency? But now can she come back more towards us on the left, the more traditional base? Can she come back and, and bring in the rest of us? And it's hard to see how you can manage both groups with some of the issues that are going on, particularly as we're talking about the Dakota Access Pipeline. You know, I have my own thoughts about the, about the, the kneeling and the protest, but, but what Colin has started trying to do to draw attention to the fact that we still have unresolved issues, particularly, you know, racial injustice as a whole, particularly when we're talking about police brutality, police killings, I mean, that's a very real conversation that she continues to be very uncomfortable having, to say the least. But with the with the pipeline, there has been virtually nothing. I know there was a clip of uh, Tim Kaine, you know, saying he was really happy that they were doing so well in the courts. And I'm like, dude, what case are you looking at? <laughs> at all? <laughs> the judge denied the TR. The, the, the judge denied the temporary restraining order. He denied the injunction. Like, what? What? I mean, aren't you a lawyer? You know how this works. Like, so I mean, so so she's been so silent on these very major issues. And it just seems like how can we trust that she will actually be this great progressive champion if she can't even, you know, stand her ground now on issues that are that are life and death for people. 
we can't trust it and we shouldn't right. trust it when someone shows you who they are believe them the first time mm -hmm. I think that it would just be delusional to think that she will become some kind of progressive or humanitarian when she's in office it's just not gonna happen and I think to get what we what we want and what we need we have to force it and we have to force it in the systems something I thought about and I then I wrestled with whether to bring this up or not because I do think it's very important to be um, cautious and mm -hmm. responsible when talking about the health of the different candidates. Okay. But, um, you know, it does appear that she collapsed or was about to collapse or faint at the memorial today for 9-11. I don't know if you saw that video footage. I have not seen the video, but I did see that it got put up earlier, but I had not watched it yet, no. Right, so I actually watched the video for myself, and um, she does look quite weak, um, and I understand, you know, reporting that she was overheated um, it's not really a hot day, it's not humid, it's mid-80s, breezy, um, and the weakness or the physical weakness that she seemed to be experiencing was outside of a crowd setting, so people were also saying, well, if you're in a crowd and, you know, it's hot and it's humid, mm -hmm. that can happen, except none of those things were the case. So I, I want to be careful, I don't want to be sensational, but... I do have to say, when I saw that video today, I did start thinking about what if her health is such that she is not capable to serve? Um, does that mean that Tim Kaine steps in her place? I don't know how that works. So we either so we either have one or two things. If she, you either have you know the machine doing its best to cover it up right for as long as possible they say that was done with Reagan and you know we know to some extent I believe it was FDR they kinda you know with his health a little bit but yeah if she is incapacitated and well if she's if she's sworn into office and she becomes incapacitated in some way then yes Tim Kaine would become um, the vice president is becomes commander-in-chief at that point um, I will say you know he's better than Mike Pence but you know I think a monkey. I think a monkey is better than my <laughs> And I'm asking this simply because I don't know, and I'm on the. No, 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 no. I do think that's a real conversation, though, right? Because if everybody's really excited. Because when you think about, because supporters, her supporters, are thinking about this too. If there is a genuine issue of her health, mm -hmm. which I don't know, and I tend to stay away from that stuff only because you know some of it gets into the tinfoil hat land. But I do agree with you that if there is a very real issue. And you are in the spotlight, right? I mean, they, they threw it around with Bernie all the time. Bernie just turned 75 this past week. Um, he's 75. He was the oldest running, you know, his health, his age, his this. So if it's fair game, then it's fair game across the board, right? And, and those are things we need. Yo, America, why can't we get any younger people like <laughs> our office? Why, why do we have this geriatric field of people like Obama is spent and running around and you want to replace him with like people old enough to be his parents? Like, I just don't understand that. So anyway. I have a follow-up follow question related. Yeah, go ahead. Um, so the follow-up question is, uh, what would happen if she became incapacitated before being sworn in. But also, I want to say that on Twitter, um, there are a lot of, I assume, feminist twi Twitters, Twitterers, <laughs> who were complaining and saying this is all sexism at play, and so bringing up this issue of sexism within the electoral politics and with our treatment of Hillary Clinton. I had to say, I thought about it, and I really 
read the critique and you know I thought mm -hmm. some really good points were made and then I thought about it and I realized actually we talk about everyone's health all the time we talked yeah. about McCain being frail and physically disabled and they did I mean right. we talked did. about Reagan and mm -hmm. Alzheimer's we talked about Cheney and is he still alive when we didn't see him we thought they had him in a bunker somewhere mm -hmm like being <laughs> kept alive by machines so I actually do not feel that that is a fair critique that we are only talking about her health and as you said we talked about it with Bernie Sanders that we're only talking about her health because she's an older woman and I think people are projecting a lot onto well, I really do think I really do think that go ahead no I really do I agree I think no that that's it I think that people age. are projecting a lot of um, the go-to, it's the identity politics, the rhetoric, they're projecting and interjecting into mm -hmm. this discussion to try and shut it down. I really want to like just kind of jump two feet in here because I'm a woman, I have constant health issues all the time. And first of all, the issue, I don't know why people are making this about sexism, it's not called sexism, it's called ableism, first of all. Second of all, um, you know, just regards to, you know, just health issues. My big concern with Hillary Clinton is that if she's sick, this woman has enough power, you know, if it's just a simple cold or something, you know, this woman has enough power and money that she can bullshit for a week. You know, she can just come up with some stupid excuse and just say, oh, I'm working on such and such policy and meeting with such and such advisors, and she could just take a nap for a week, sleep it off. Um, on the other side of that, her, you know, health is an actual issue. You know, in my opinion, I'm looking at this and I'm like, is she going to, you know, how long is she going to campaign? Is she going to kill herself with how hard she wants to campaign? You know, what is she doing that she can't keep her health up, you know, up to power? You know, you know, these are my main concerns. And if you want to be a feminist and you don't want to be ableist, you know, that's how you approach the subject. Just like, okay, is she sick? You know, what, you know, what's wrong with her? Does she need to take a break? And these are obviously, you know, in my opinion, they are concerns because if you get sick to such an extent, I mean, again, Hillary Clinton has enough power, influence, money that she could, you know, if she just felt ill all the time when she was in office, she could just hire advisors and put up a front. Clinton, you know, if I was that selfish and if I was a Clinton, that was, that's what I would do. Um, but, you know, yeah, it, you know, it is an issue because... To me, it just seems like, you know, if she is too sick, then she has no business taking on the stresses because being, you know, the presidency is a ton of stress. You know, she has no business taking on the stresses of the presidency. And again, she's not operating at 110%. With me, mm -hmm. I have allergy issues. Um, I have hypersensitivity issues. And when that stuff acts up, um, first thing to go is I get muscle aches, muscle, muscle weaknesses, and I can't hold up a cell phone for like a minute before my hands start shaking, um, I get brain fog, I forget things, you know, and, and it's like, and I'm 25 years old, guys. <laughs> so health is, you know, health is an important discussion. It's an important discussion to have. And I think, you know, what people are worried about is turning it into a really very disgusting discussion. But I think in regards mm -hmm. to this, that it's very easy to just sit there and talk about it and in this way, to humanize Clinton and say, mm -hmm. well, you know, I understand she has all this money, influence, and power, but at what point is she reaching a breaking point? And at what point is she going, is she taking her health beyond the point of no return? Is she getting to, you know, at what point is she making herself too sick? 
to right. operate within the power of the presidency. Yeah, and and I think like looking at the the feminist angle to this is very frustrating. Um, feminism, the critique from women of color regarding feminism over the past few decades continues to be true. That um, that we are ignored and that it's it's so it's oversimplified the idea of feminism where it's just the big bad man the big bad patriarchy mm -hmm. right and that's the only thing we need to battle that's the only issue the very single issue of uh, politics and I, I think that 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 is my my issue with with Hillary Clinton and why I can, I cannot support her or her brand of feminism because patriarchy is is not is not a, a one issue thing patriarchy mm -hmm. acts the lives of women, it, it impacts how we give birth, our birth choices, it impacts our educational choices, our job choices, it's massive. And and so a single issue, like, and that's what really bothers me about these women like Amy Schumer and Lena Dunham and, and all these other pundits that it, it's like if they want it to be this sisterhood, but women of color and our issues are the first things that have to decide because it's just important to have a figurehead. And and that's the thing that that I think plays into this whole conversation about her health, where once again, this idea of women's rights is being co-opted to serve a purpose for women that are already powerful, mm -hmm. right? So it's like, okay, well, they're doing it because they're sexist. And I'm not going to say that Hillary Clinton has not dealt with sexism. I'm not going to say that at all. But the fact that she has doesn't change anything. Every single woman that you will see on the street has dealt with sexism. That does not make them your friend, your lover, yeah. your future president. That just makes them a woman in this <laughs> world that we live in. So I don't think that having a figurehead is sufficient. You know, we've already mentioned throughout here just the disasters of her policy for right. For women of color, for indigenous women, for women that are conscious about environmental justice and racial justice, economic justice, educational inequalities. Like, if she's not representing our issues, then the fact that she is a woman isn't going to sway me, isn't going to make a difference. Because at the end of the day, it's going to be a different color, a different gender at the top, but the policies remain the same. The attitudes remain the same. There's no structural changes in the way that this country treats uh, treats women, and so the feminism is completely lacking. You know, it's this false, mm -hmm. um, and the the purpose is to get bodies, to get bodies to vote, to get bodies to protest, to get bodies to activate, and and then but then when we're activating for our own causes, where are they? Where are the allies? You know, like. What Tim Kaine has said about said about and that is supposed to be really, really, really with the black community, right? It was all about his black church. I was like, mm -hmm. I, the, the emphasis on it was astounding. But then he can't understand the purpose <laughs> of the protest. He can't understand the heart of caring for your fellow man. Well, apparently, neither can the Seahawks. Yeah, and I mean. It, but it's one thing to have this, the the NFL, which is full of old racist white men, many of them uh, sexual predators, believe that way. Fine. But the, the Democratic vice presidential candidate who claims that he appeals to Latinos because he speaks our language or because he goes to a black church, that we're supposed to vote for him, he has our, 
our issues in mm-hmm. hand. And then he can understand someone protesting people killing us because they view us as danger. Because they can't acknowledge the implicit bias of racism in this country. And so it's just, it blows my mind, you know? And then and then for them for him again not to know about the about the pipeline you know where where do we measure you know the i feel like america is too caught up in forgetting that native americans still exist that they're yes. still fighting for the same things they've been fighting for hundreds of years and then until we stand with them unless we stand with them we are no better than our ancestors you know Thank the you. other day I was the other day I was in DC and we, we passed by the American Indian Museum and I said you know What's the point of this museum when we're still taking away their land, when their children are four times, their young women are four times more likely to be sexually assaulted, when they bring jobs to Native American communities, the, the sexual assault rates go up 40%. I mean, and, and nobody is talking about this. So to see these, these women say, this isn't just about water, this isn't just about sovereignty, this is for our women. And, and it's beautiful. That is that is like a perfect point, right? Like this is not, and, and and not that those are bad things to fight for, of course not. But this is like so much deeper than that. And to even put into context, like you write, like we have these museums because people think they do it to the right. Well, we built you a museum, you know what I'm saying? We give you a shout out with your little heritage month, like we, you, you I mean you got all this stuff. What more do you want? And we've seen people posting that, right? Like you get, you know, benefits from the government. You get, you got casinos. You got Huh? Like that don't even make any sense. And but I but I, I absolutely agree though that we have to continue to, to, to have these conversations and we have to continue to challenge those narratives because people talk about how great the country is or how much progress has been made, but at the same time we, there may have been a lot of progress, you know, we all can freely express ourselves in theory, right? But at the same time, there's still so much work that needs to be done. And so why am I, why are we relitigating the same battles that our parents' generation and our grandparents' generation and so forth had to deal with and address as well? It's it's a problem. And so how do we figure out how to not only be active and engage, but also how do we shape conversations and narratives and prevent co-option you know, from 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 well-meaning um, folks who want to come around during, uh, you know, time. I just want to quickly read some comments because, so shout out to everybody asking me about the chat. Usually there is a chat when Ben or I do these shows. I, I, I normally do not set up my own hangouts and stuff. I decide to be like, you know, I'll, you know, get out there and do it myself. Um, but I think when I set it up through the Google Hangout on air, which will no longer be after t- after today, um, I think it, I think it didn't allow me to enable the YouTube chat. So if you guys are commenting, I'm going through and I'm looking at your comments now as we're talking. Um, but we had a couple comments. Stacy couldn't get on. Shout out to Stacy Hawkins. She said. Um, uh, she said, for me, it's too late to consider Clinton. However, I have and am moving way past that, as it's always been more than an election for me. We absolutely agree. And she also said, why do we continue with the rockpiling style of suffering to organize by constantly having to demand or push a candidate or elected official when we are being asked to support a person or party because they allegedly already represent or will work for us? Um, I agree. You know, we hear that so much. Like, you know, Hillary Clinton has, has done so much for you people. It makes me think of one of those old old movies with the white folks. Like, we've done so much for you people. Why Miss can't Millie. you just be nice? <laughs> Miss Millie. <laughs> exactly. From the color purple. Um, uh, Rollo Red said, um, Hillary Clinton would be an empty victory for women, in my opinion. And some people seem almost convinced that it is what the powers that be want. 
and they feel like if they hold on to the power and maintain capitalism, that things will work out fine for them. And and so thank you guys for who are for commenting and participating. This is pretty cool. Um, oh, and then Stacey just just wrote, as a black woman of a certain age, I'm quite weary of asking or waiting for someone to give us the tools and resources needed. It's time to change that paradigm. And unfortunately, that means we will have to organize outside of white spaces to do that. So just I just want to I do actually want to put that on you guys, right? Because we all work in different spheres and engage in different spaces, you know, both personally and professionally, and then our outside activist work. How do we begin to build those spaces that we need? Because, of course, all of us need to work together on certain issues, but, but how do we work in, you know, POC, you know, women of color, people of color spaces, black spaces, Latino spaces? How do we work in those spaces to build up the tools and resources we need to do to do this work? And how do we deal with people who try to come into our spaces? Because it's not that I don't want to work with you, but sometimes there is strength, you know, in building amongst ourselves too, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, I have, sorry, I had I had some stuff that I wanted to add like 20 minutes ago. Go, go, <laughs> so we've go, gone go. we've gone beyond it by now. We've you talked about so much what stuff. You, wanna, you can add what you want to add, and then we can keep going. Uh, no, I'll try I'll try my best to link uh, your question okay. to. You know, okay. about. Um, but I think to quickly answer your question, one of the ways to do that is to obviously highlight the people who are doing the work and mm -hmm. instead of trying to, because I think sometimes what we see in activist communities or in, in any sort of academic circles, whatever, is that you see people who are, try, again, well-meaning, but they end up speaking for the people who are the most oppressed or who are the most, who are experiencing the material effects or whatever the problem is. Um, so I think, you know, for, we see this, I, I've been complaining about this a lot with regard to the coup in Brazil, that we see mm -hmm. that on every single leftist network, no leftist or otherwise, anyone who's writing about, talking about the coup in Brazil is a white man, either a white Latin American man or a white American yes. man. Yes. Now, I've literally counted, okay. I've gone through and counted all of them, and it's like one out of 20 is going to be a woman, and usually she's a white woman or a woman of status in Brazil. It's never a black woman, never a woman of color. Um, so I think in moments like this, you know, I, I, as someone who's like been down there and seen what's going on, I say, look, don't listen to me. Listen to the people who are experiencing it. Read the blogs of people who are writing about it. We're from mm -hmm. here, right? So I think that there, and, and particularly people who are going to be most impacted by whatever is, you know, by, by the material effects of the political change. So I think that that's one thing that we have to do um, to prioritize those voices, even if, because right. I think sometimes we get lost and we think that, oh, no, we're, we're helping. We're speaking for them. And the mm -hmm. issue is not to speak for someone. The issue is to let them speak for themselves and then support that. Um, but I think... The, the, the bridge here is Lena Dunham. Uh, you guys already brought up Amy Schumer and Lena Dunham, but one of the things that is just making me nuts is that this, I, I personally think that their type of feminism and also their critique of sexism is actually dangerous. Um, and I'll tell you why. Yes. Okay. Going back to like historical stuff, because one of the things that we had after the Civil War in the United States was this myth in the South that the white slave mistress was beneficial to slaves and that she was actually on their side because there was so much oppression towards white women. There was so much oppression towards women, period, right, um, during the colonial period that clearly she's going to have more empathy for the slaves. When in actuality, historians have shown repeatedly, um, mm -hmm. there's a really good book by Savolia uh, Glimp on this, and it shows they've shown that white White slave mistresses were just as abusive, if not more so, because they had constant contact with many of the slaves. Mm -hmm. And so I always had this image in the back of my mind when people are like, oh, Hillary's suffering so much. I've seen article after article this week. There were two articles in the New York Times. 
one in New York Magazine, um, one that even up uh, two actually that were written by a black professor whom I used to very much respect and now I cannot stomach, um, defending, defending Clinton on the basis actually of this sort of historical image of white female victimhood. And yeah. what, what that does is it erases all of the people who are the victims of that particular white woman. So we saw yeah. that with, with Lena Dunham. Instead of focusing on, you know, the, the football player, Odell Beckham, I think is his name, yeah. that she was, hara- she was harassing in print. <laughs> like, she was harassing him in print, saying, why yeah, are you actually her? And she actually harassed Michael B. Jordan. Right, really physically. Like, right, yeah. Him, right? Yeah. yeah, and I mean, every, how, many, how many jokes have we seen of Amy Schumer about Mexicans and about black men, um, mm-hmm. you know, objectifying them and sexualizing them in a way that is dangerous and that plays into existing stereotypes that shows... Latino and black men are, you know, African American and, and Latino men as threats, right? Mm-hmm. As physical threats. And then she just showed us again in her Twitter feed uh, after this incident where she said, you know, she claims that someone else wrote it, but clearly mm-hmm. she wrote it. Uh, so the issue is, I think in that process, we end up, we end up not just obscuring, you know, the experiences of, of poor women and women of color, et cetera, but we also just end up not just obscuring, but wiping them out altogether and saying, yeah. You've got to put your issue aside right now. I need you to pause. I need you to protect. Just not exist. I don't want. You, I don't want to hear from you. I only want to hear from you when I call you to be in a photo mm-hmm. with me to show how down I am with black people or with uh, Latinos. And then, other than that, don't talk. Be quiet. You know, like go sit in the corner and do your job. And then I'll call on you when I want to call on you. And so that type of that, the problem with that is obviously these people have real legitimate grievances and real legitimate cases of sexism that they experience and not just sexism, but straight up misogyny that they experience as, right. as a result of the war machine that she clearly has funding and total support of her entire national security team is neocons from top to bottom. Um, and it often, a lot of them are women, funny enough as you know, not that it makes a difference, um, but most of them are white women who are her national security and foreign policy advisors um, so it's really just like, uh, and this is where I was saying, you know, earlier in a chat with you guys, I'm beginning to feel kind of nihilistic because while I can do as much as I can to highlight the voices of others and try to, you know, prioritize the voices of women who are being impacted by this type of God awful policy. I also just kind of, and this, I mean, this is not the answer anyone wants to hear, but I mm-hmm. often find myself throwing my hands up and saying, what can we do? Because I don't have any money, not money enough to, you know, influence Clinton's foreign policy. I'm not the military industrial complex. So what do we do to kind of, I mean, I, I just, I don't know. I think, I think talking is good. I think writing is good. I think voting a certain way is good. Um, but there's, there's so many things that she can do that are far beyond the reach of the voter. Um, and that has to do with these industries that, that are not accountable or they're, they're not responsive to anyone. And so when we have white feminists who are constantly defending these um, industries, it's literally dangerous, especially if they're doing it in the with the with like Hillary's dealing with sexism as a backdrop. Because, yeah, she is, and but other people are dying because we're so busy talking about how she's suffering that we're not recognizing yes. the massive suffering that she causes for others. So that's that's all I wanted to add. Uh, I want to jump in with from uh, a book I'm reading. Um, about it's called Decolonizing Methodologies by Linda, I can't say her middle name, Smith. Um, it's a growing body of testimony from First Nations people in Canada, which tells of years of abuse, neglect, and viciousness meted out to young children by teachers and staff in, religious, in schools run by various religious denominations. 
These forms of disciplines are supported by paternalistic and racist policies and legislation. White communities as necessary conditions which had to be met if indigenous people wanted to become citizens of their own land. These mm -hmm. forms of discipline affected people physically, emotionally, linguistically, and culturally. They were designed to destroy every last remnant of alternative ways of knowing and living, to obliterate collective identities and memories, and to oppose a new order. So reclaiming a voice in this context has also been about reclaiming, reconnecting, and reloading those ways of knowing, which were submerged, hidden, or driven underground. And to me, um, I think this is where we sort of, in my opinion, where I want to approach this topic of, you know, what can we possibly do to address this, because it does seem so hopeless. Um, to me, I kind of, I call it, um, I think we should deprivatize knowledge or ways of knowing and also jump uh, off of that and sort of reclaim or deprivatize resources. And that kind of something I want to do. I need to get all the skills and teach myself to do it first is to sort of make a social media platform that contextualizes informative, uh, informative content like local knowledge, polls, research, academia, tech knowledge, and events and stuff by attributing them with like search tags that could allow users to customize sort of like their perk, like their dashboard or their spaces on a platform um, into a unique experience and um, that other interactivity tools to help them encourage certain types of interactions and they can just engage or discourage others. And so in that respect, rather than try and conform or be told that you have to conform to a white way of interacting, a white colonial way of interacting, mm -hmm. knowing with everyone, it's just kind of this small way to me of sort of reclaiming space for some people. And I think it would be a really, if done well, it could be a great way for marginalized people to sort of reclaim some space to share knowledge, um, to talk about issues without having to, I guess, um, get their language co get co-opted or just participate in this very, uh, I forget, I'm not quite sure how to say it, just how the pundits are currently talking and turning this all into this huge cult of personality rather than actually um, getting down and talking about the real issues. And then from there, I think that the exchanges of knowledge in ways of knowing would make ability, um, make availability, Sorry, I can't talk. Make available the ability to sort of um, reinterpret math or physics or biology or um, stuff about ecology and chemistry and stuff. Um, and people can contextualize it for their communities. And they can mm -hmm. use the knowledge to sort of come up with their own inexpensive local solutions to address like immediate resource accessibility issues. Um, for instance, in South America, I forget where it is, but they found a way to uh, grow coral reefs 50% faster than they can be grown in or or oceans just by splitting the coral reefs and then bringing them back together and letting them absorb into each other and then start growing and then they would repeat the process and it's just ridiculously fast. And so, you know, just sometimes solutions are just very intuitive, but academia and research and industry just like to spend millions and millions of dollars to sort of figure these things out or to definitively prove them when in fact sometimes if you just provide some resources to very different communities, they can look at it and they can sort of like um, a process of elimination type thing. It's like, oh yeah, I you know, just like filling out a Sudoku puzzle, I guess. 
for white people, there's like three empty spots for them to fill out. And then, you know, for indigenous and black people and Hispanic communities, it's like you have three numbers available and you have to solve the rest of the puzzle on your own. And this sort of fills in the rest of the puzzle for people. And so they would be, you know, it wouldn't fix everything, but they would have access to knowledge and they'd be able to come up with much more, in, you know, their own intuitive solutions to local everyday problems rather than having to go through this extensive and exhaustive and, you know, economically detrimental process of um, our pri how privatized our education system is becoming nowadays. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure you know, how much that makes sense, but <laughs> that's sort of how I would really like to help, um, and that's sort of something I really want to do. Yeah. Um, I think that's, that's, if I may jump in, yeah, that's, uh, that's really the key. I think that we have to start, I think there's many levels of um, activism or action that we need to take. Uh, I, I personally love the idea of deprivatizing or, or publicly um, making resources and, and knowledge accessible. I, I support open access um, and for that reason, you know, open um, distribution and availability of academic texts and academic papers and studies and things like that, which um, is a huge movement and it's a growing movement. Uh, and there's a huge sort of academic institutional uh, resistance to it. Um, Elsevier, which is one of the biggest companies, as I'm sure some of you know, is uh, trying to stop that. Uh, but there is quite a lot of uh, people who are trying to open up academia in a way that's not just hiding behind paywalls that are actually kind of uh, just exploitative at this point because they're not, I mean there's a whole thing, somebody can look it up, open access, it's great. Mm -hmm. um, and the other thing is that um, I wrote a few points as everybody was talking and everybody made such great, excellent points. Um, but, um, yeah, you know, it's really important not, um, like you've said, like like a few of people, a few of you have said today, that we are coming from different communities and different backgrounds and different groups that we engage with in our work or in our activism. Um, and at the same time, it's really important to have these conversations, and not just conversations, but taking them to the next level, uh, supporting each other, boosting each other. Uh, I, I saw this in the in the uh, I mean in the Black Lives Matter movement and the uh, and now in the no DA, the no Dapple no Dakota Pipeline movement. Uh, it's really important to have bodies on the ground too, so not just Twitter and not just Facebook activism, which is also really important. And I don't want to downplay the importance of it. I do think it's actually important because it can connect people. Right. It can, uh, you know, it just has the, it has a certain place. Um, at the same time, having bodies on the ground, you know, people tying themselves to the machinery, to the machinery um, in Deco North Dakota. Um, Black Lives Matter, all the protests and all the um, actions that take place on the ground, people get arrested. Um, that does matter. Having bodies on the ground, having protests, having, you know, making that noise, making, you know, shutting down highways, making those things, and then sharing information about it is as important too, mm. because there are people, you know, for me, I can't always physically be in certain places or in any place other than where I can be, and that's the that's the case for all of us. But we can share this information. We can amplify these voices. We also have access to, for example, we can. I see sometimes people, for example, on Twitter, you know, talking about something that Barack Obama did or some company did or didn't do or some celebrity, and I wish that they would tag those people because I personally do think that there is some power. 
I'm not saying that you can just talk to them and one person talking to Barack Obama is going to make his change his mind. But, you know, if 5,000 people tag him on something, uh, whoever staff member is handling might get back, it might get back to Barack Obama and there might be some small crack in some of these things. You know, not just Obama, but like Justin Trudeau and, and, and also these celebrities, but especially the politicians. You know, there's the cultural side of it, which is these celebrities and then the politicians and, and the business people. And I do think that we need to take the tools, and I think we are taught not to. We are basically taught to be consumers, consume, 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 and be passive about it. But we can be active, and we can actually uh, start making noise and start making noise for each other as well, which is, I think, the power of um, this, you know, which is really the social media power because we can amplify and boost these voices. We know about, for example, um, you know, protests that have been going on in France, in Greece, um, in India. There was a huge strike that just happened, and um, people who are just watching mainstream media are not hearing about it, obviously, but the more and more people, uh, especially people who are maybe younger than 50 or something, are uh, getting their news from either uh, directly on Twitter or somebody they know is on Twitter and they're telling them about it or on Facebook. So there's power in these platforms as well as platforms um, that, like Hugh was talking about, that are coming up. And I know that, um, is it Michael Sal Salomon? Who's yeah, working Michael on Salomon, yep. Yeah, he's working on some stuff too. And I'm just really looking forward to it because we do need to decentralize because as we've seen, there's way too much power that these private platforms have, like Mark, you know, people like Mark Zuckerberg and all these people have way too much power to control, uh, not just to give our information, which is already happening. So already, there's already this, um, you know, uh, lack of privacy and all that. We have our information is being spread, our activities on the on the internet are being uh, shared between advertisers, but also to stop information from, you know, to to take off a picture of uh, the picture from uh, the Vietnamese war that Mark Zuckerberg recently took off and then they put it back on but you know he took he it was a big deal because that was a Nor Norway Norwegian prime minister who had posted a picture and Mark Zuckerberg you know uh, Facebook removed it so there was a huge thing it was all over the media and, and they pro they unremoved it but this happens all the time where Facebook is censoring people um, for various things um, uh, you know when they're talking about various rights or various issues and they're not prime ministers of countries, so they don't really get their, you know, justice. So um, what I'm saying is that we need to diversify the platforms and we need to have these different uh, avenues so that if one fails or one has, if we hit a limitation on one, we can switch without breaking the activism uh, oh. too much. And uh, but also really amplifying each other's voices because the no DAP, no the no that it was amazing. Like this, the bodies on the ground, including Jill Stein, you know, who got an arrest warrant and. Um, but all these people, like, as well as online, so there was this huge, and like, you know, Black Lives Matter and Palestinians and, and just regular people, you know, just speaking up and saying, no, this is not acceptable. And right now we have a temporary halt on this. We do need to keep watching because sometimes that can also be used just to, like, calm everybody down and distract everybody and just now everybody's going to look away and they're going to do the same thing. That mm -hmm. is very possible. Um, so I think the pressure needs to stay on. And I think that needs to happen for all these movements, for all justice movements. Um, and we also, you know, some of the issues we're facing, we're talking about co-optation, and these are issues of capitalism. Now, I mean, you know, um, as far as that, we do have to sort of think about the system we're in, I think. And uh, But we do have to realize that the problems are occurring that are happening are because of this capitalist system, which uh, creates um, this competitiveness, you know, between 
between identity politics, you know, and it wants to co-opt everything. So even even things like sexism or racism, you know, you have someone like Joy Reid. Um, yes. Oh, you know. <laughs> I, <I'm> not, <laughs> I had to ask Ben yesterday if 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 somehow we're back in the '90s and Russia was communist again. Like I've been, I was confused. I I thought we saw the end of all that stuff when I was a kid. I, I you know I was confused. I didn't know what was going on. Yeah, no, exactly. Well, I mean, that up. was just that one. That tweet, the stuff from yesterday, or was it yesterday? Where with the com, yeah, that was just out there. But there, this this uh, Russian scare, you know, this fear of Ru it's 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 absolutely, you know, like I don't follow mainstream media anymore. Like I can't even watch mm -hmm. it, but I do hear about it, you know, on online usually. And uh, I'm just amazed that there's all this uh, hoopla around Trump supposedly being, you know, whatever uh, Putin's. Uh, whatever you know, working for Putin, but like nobody mentions what, how much money the Clintons have taken from Saudi Arabia, and and how much these people are working with Israel, and you know the level of of obvious collaboration between the U.S. government and Saudis, and U.S. government and Israel is so blatant, you know, yeah. and it has been for generations, and yet Trump, who is like you know a moron, like I'm sorry to say, but you know. And and like he's working for Putin, and that's like the, what every it's like just this going out. It's like this. It's like it's been it's been broadcasted that this is our talking point, and everyone from you know Joy Reid to every single liberal you know Vox.com whatever person is like talking about this, right? And it's it's completely even in their own articles they'll put in a line like, oh, we don't actually have any evidence, right? <laughs> but imagine if they gave this much time to Hillary's connections with Saudis or with Israel. Um, you know, that's just, so my point is that um, we have to look at, I, I agree that we do need uh, spaces for uh, uh, black and brown and people of color and women of color. Um, I think we also need to incorporate class issues, uh, which obviously we all yeah. are, I think, on the same page about as well. And I also agree that I, I still see this and... I don't think it's anywhere near what these, you know, Jill Filipowicz and Sadie Doyle's types think, mm -hmm. uh, where they, they call everything brochialism. And they call, but I do think there is a, a level of sort of um, a blind spot, okay, for some people who are on, you know, who are actual socialists or leftists and who uh, happen to be white male and who happen to kind of only invite white males into their groups or into their into their you know ch uh, chats or into their podcasts or into their media right. or into their TV shows and I find that still is happening and I'm not saying that they are sexist I don't I really don't think I, I actually I've, I've said this to people before that I don't need especially men to go around wearing a feminist label on their head you know I want them to actually not be sexist that's it like right. I actually want them to not actually be sexist I don't care if they call themselves that or not um, so I'm not even saying that these guys are. I'm just saying that there is a certain blind spot, and I think that if they were to recognize it and and really include voices like the people who are in this room right now and other voices, you know, there's so mm -hmm. many men and women of color that really should be part of various leftist uh, media outlets, whether it's independent media or whatever. They really need to be, and not just one or two as a token, but really incorporate. Uh, these issues that we are talking about that do include class but also include race and racism. You know, we cannot separate these two. I've had arguments with people on one side or the other where somebody who's like, oh, you're talking about race and like it's only class, it's only, and I'm like, no, it's both. Like, it really is both. 
And someone like me cannot separate those things. I, you cannot tell me that it's only race or it's only class that should be, you know, our concern or that's a problem in the world. So, um, and we, we embody that. People of color and, you know, spe uh, people who are concerned about these issues, we embody those things and we can talk about them from a place of experience and, and, and knowledge. And so I, I, I mean, if that's my appeal to people who are on the left and who are who have platforms is to really genuinely include women of color, especially, um, and you know, just people of color in general into your into your dialogues and do it regularly and do it genuinely. So um, I'd like to um, I'd like to jump in and um, reinforce what Kian and Wendy said about amplifying voices. Once I learned that. Uh, different corporate media sources make money every time we click and share their stories, I stop retweeting their stories. Mm. And I stop clicking on their stories. So if I'm scrolling Twitter, so this is just a very concrete thing, and then I want to ask and bring up a question about progressive blind spots. But if I see a story on Twitter that I think is really important and needs to be shared, and I see that it's coming from CNN, I'll go and do a search and look for the independent media take on that story, and mm -hmm. that's what I'll share. I will not share, and that list of who I will not share grows. <laughs> as, um, <laughs> you know, as the violations grow. But the, right. the topics that I perceive to be um, the most egregious line steppers during the primaries, like CNN, like New York Times, like Washington Post, I don't share their stories. I don't mm -hmm. click on their links. So if you are a progressive writer for those outlets, sorry, I'm going to find an alternative. But with respect to progressive blind spots, I want to hear so badly your thoughts on Dr. Jill Stein spray painting the equipment. I think I just, that is not okay, okay? <laughs> and for me, that was strike one, and I wrote this, and I want to say it. She and everyone need to remember that blank out is an option. I just, I just didn't appreciate that stunt, and I wanna, and I saw it as a stunt, and I want to know what you all thought of it. I think, I think, because I've had this conversation, and you know, I get, I get pushed. But I'll say something that sounds really, really great, green, and then I'll get a whole bunch of green followers and people in my mentions. And I'll say something critical, and I get a whole bunch of people mad at me, like, you need to look more into this. Look, okay? Um, you know, I, I, I still, I absolutely agree. Blank out is an option if you guys aren't familiar with, if, you're, if you are watching, if you're watching this on replay or listening to this on the podcast, blank out is an option, and that refers to the, um, the position, the, the theory put forth by uh, Dr. Eddie Glau, Jr., um, that we just, you know, you blank out, you do not, you abstain from voting at the presidential level. It, it kind of builds on the, the Puerto Rico plebiscito uh, with the none of the above strategy. But, but, but going to Jill Stein, so, so part of my, my tension with that issue, like on the one hand, I think it's great that we do have people who are willing to lend their voice to movements lend their voice. Same thing with the famous people when they when they showed up. There was more about, you know, Shailene and Susan Sarandon when they had the big uh, rally, what was it, in D.C. or whatever, a couple weeks ago about, the, you know, the big Dakota Access Pipeline rally they had at the courthouse before. It was more about the famous people than the actual water protectors, the actual warriors, the actual people from the front line who've been there. And, I mean, you know, big names, they attract the attention. They, they, they bring the you know, they bring the emphasis, which is good. It's good that people are willing to lend their celebrity, lend their voice. 
but at the same time, I find the tension sometimes because on the one hand, the Green Party does position themselves as almost a, not only a refuge, but a savior from the madness that is the two system, the two party system that we exist, that is a savior from the, 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 the lesser of two evils nonsense, right? But on the flip side, they are also another political campaign trying to get up enough, you know, juice to be on the big stage. And I, I think that we just need to be more upfront in our dealings about that because there's nothing wrong with that. Um, so with the, I, I do think that of all the things that could have been done, that for me was kind of wanting, but I know not everyone has that same opinion, so I do agree with you about that. But at the same time, I think what was interesting to me was to see people upset that she, that there was a arrest warrant out for her. So it's like you went and did something that you knew was going to get you arrested because everybody else has been doing has been getting arrested. But then on the flip side, the faithful were upset. Now, I, I understand that folks is upset that how dare she get arrested for that and Hillary Clinton didn't get arrested for all this other stuff. Uh, it's the difference between regular crime and white-collar crime, honestly. You know, if Jill Stein had been doing white-collar crime, she'd probably get a slap on the wrist because she's a white woman of a certain standing as well. Um, that's just being real. That's not being a hater. That's just being, that's just being real. But I, I do think that of all the things to be doing, I mean, and I don't know what conversation transpired with people there on the spot for that to actually take place, but that photo op, that staging, it did kind of like make me feel a certain way, but I've already been on the fence about the Greens anyway, so that's just my take. I don't know what anyone else thought. I personally was frustrated by it, um, and I listened to a podcast, Delete Your Account. I don't know if any of you all listened to I, that. I, I haven't yeah. listened to them yet, but I do follow um, them. Yeah. yeah, they're great, actually. But they, they interviewed uh, Ruth. I cannot remember her last name right now, but she's Hopkins. an indigenous. Yes, Ruth Hopkins, who's yes. an indigenous activist. And she you know, she was trying to stay neutral because she is a lawyer, and she, yes. you know, she's a legal representative for the people who are protesting and whatnot. So she, she tried to kind of be on the fence about it. But basically, you know, she was like, the problem with her, with Jill Stein's act, is that the whole time, the indigenous protesters were trying to portray the movement as peaceful, as non-disruptive, solely disruptive in the matter of like the politics of it all, right? Like, this is important for our land. This is important for our history. Please do not, you know, impede up or uh, intrude upon this space and, and destroy it, desecrate it. And I think, you know, while I'm obviously not one of those like, oh, my God, poor CVS is burning down while the people riot kind of people. I, at the same time, I felt like I don't care about the, the forklift or whatever. But my concern was that what potential dangers did that put the indigenous <laughs> activists in? Well, Jill Stein can leave whenever she wants. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's definitely not going to go back to North Dakota now. Um, but the others cannot. And so they're left to kind of deal with the potential ramifications that may increase because of her, I mean, they're already increasing, but things like what she did kind of, um, it strikes me as a type of privileged move and an unaware, even if unintentional, um, she wasn't thinking about the consequences perhaps um, on the community. And even at the time that she's spray painting, while a lot of people are cheering her on and laughing and like celebrating her act of defiance um, or subversion, it, it still, it, it struck me as like, you're not really reflecting on what's going on here and how you're potentially endangering others. I think she would have been better suited to like interview people there and to put that on her webpage and to put, put that on her, her Twitter feed and, you know, talk to, talk to activists and have, again, profile their voices, amplify their voices instead of ultimately making it all about Jill. I think that that's a good point. And I think there's also a difference too, when you're running a actual political campaign, like the greens do mount a serious, I mean, they're not, they're not just playing at running for president. They're really trying to build 
a momentum, really trying to build. And so you have to do things to kind of show, like, you know, you have the two lead candidates silent on this issue. You, you have the supposed progressive champion in particular, right, the woman who is absolutely silent. And, in fact, her actual donors are behind the financing of the system we're trying to take down, right? So her hands are tied. So I do see, I, from a political strategy point, I get it, but from an activist community uh, 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 movement building standpoint, it's kind of like, uh, and I agree with both of what you just said, and um, shout out to Ruth Hopkins, I did get a chance to talk to Ruth a couple of weeks ago, she's she's awesome, If um, definitely check her out, you guys, on Twitter, uh, she's Ruth H. Hopkins on Twitter. Um, she 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 she's written for um, Indian Country News. She's she's written for several outlets. She she and she has been a judge on the reservation. She's she's from Standing Rock Reservation. And she has been out there um, at the encampment. Very very solid sister. Knows her stuff in and out. And and this is the one thing we're talking about now. But there's a big fight getting to Europe in terms of the Black Hills because um, the Black Hills were wrongfully seized. The Supreme Court sometime back determined that the Black that, that the Black Hills had been wrongfully taken by the U.S. government and that they owed you know the people uh, just compensation. But because that's sacred land, they don't want money for it. You know how do you take money for you know your sacred spiritual homeland, right? Like. Like so, it's it's a lot actually about to be popping off in that part of the country. Um, it's it's, it's I mean we, it, we people are knuckling down for the winter because it's about to be a long haul. So, but getting back to the Green Party and this whole conversation about um, running a political campaign versus building a movement and organizing. I mean, can you? We have this electoral process going, but how do we move past this electoral process and actually continue to build this movement that we have going on? Um, I was reading, I read two books recently called African Fractals and um, Dancing Wisdom, and they both talk about sort of embodied knowledge and um, sort of like self-organizing grassroots systems, but mm -hmm. uh, sort of kind of like the concept of social self-assembly. And uh, empowering people, um, it was, it, it talked about like African Fractals and recursion and how these indigenous communities, um, we try to look at, we, they looked at and they were just like, is this pure math? Is what they're doing pure math? Whereas we as Westerners are trying to understand it from a Western perspective, when in fact, you know, these people have their own cultural understandings of how they understand nature and how they, you know, how they define it and interact with it. And that sort of, we need to um, adapt, uh, adapt to that kind of concept concept and um, just start building, you know, this can, you know, just like a self-organizing community and obviously, you know, it goes again back to providing, getting the tools and resources um, necessary, deprivatizing it and making it available kind of with the open mm -hmm. source society stuff, um, you know, making it available for people to be able to create, you know, these self-organizing systems and just this bottom-up grassroots empowerment approach just towards um, creating spaces and whatnot. I know it's kind of basic, but... Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, Stacy Stacey is commenting, because Stacy, shout out to Stacy for hanging in there with us, even though she couldn't get <laughs> on. 
Um, she was saying there's many ways to create direct action and should be layered with ground organizing and a strategy guided by and coordinate with an inside political game. But one of the first things activists need to learn is how to identify power, how to shift the fulcrum their way. If you are laying in the street and not affecting the power structure, what are you shutting down and who are you really impacting? Mm -hmm. Good point. Yeah, I think that's 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 great. And uh, I would just love it if everybody who mentioned a book uh, could just like type it somewhere or tweet it or something so that I yeah, can so, read them Yeah, so too. you guys, whatever books and stuff, especially Q, I know you dropped off a lot of, rattled off a bunch of books and stuff, but if you guys can put it in Twitter, and then all the books, everything, whatever links, articles, people we've been referencing, I will definitely make sure to tweet them out this evening um, once we're done. So we are going to wrap it up in the next 10 minutes because I know I have kept you lovely ladies. Um, it is Sunday. Uh, I appreciate everyone for taking their time. I know we have had as many as 20, 25 people hanging in there with us. Hey, it's Sunday afternoon. I appreciate each and every one of you. Share, like, subscribe. This has been a Sunday edition of The Way With Noah, and I have these fabulous women. And I'll, I'll mix it up one of these days. I'll get some of the bras in here, some of the guys in here to <laughs> chop it on me. Because they get mad at me. They're like, you're doing another all-girls thing again? Yes. Because I like I like, I mean, I like oh, please. But if you I guys... The conversations we have, I really feel like we need to share them with other people. And, like, what I like about this is, like, we kind of, we've talked about this stuff before, but this is, like, pretty much off the dome. Like, this is just freestyle. And, and, and I like genuine, honest dialogue like this. And we definitely need to have more of it across the country um, as much as possible to move, move the needle forward, so to speak. Go ahead. I think, uh, sorry, I was just going to yeah, say that I think I would love to have a conversation with, uh, the you know with guys as well about some of these issues having to do with the sexism that you know the identity politics uh, that is used to hide anything that Hillary does behind you know oh it's just sexism you can't criticize her I would love to because I know there's a lot of frustration and I feel like you know feminism or whatever you want to call it women's liberation womanism um, really needs our voices because it's what we, what these white privileged women are doing around Hillary is really not working and they've really reached mm -hmm. a saturation point and everybody's sick of it I'm sick of it I'm a feminist and you know I will still be one but I'm really really tired of a lot of different types of mm -hmm. feminists and feminisms and I think that's a like I, I mean I've had a real struggle to even hold on to that identity or label or a word uh, in the last few months because of the, of the kind of stuff I've seen and I've been a lifelong feminist and uh, I, but I've really questioned what that even means anymore and I know there's a lot of frustration and I know that we really need to kind of unpack that I would love to just sit and unpack just that and I would be happy to do that with people of all genders personally. Yeah, well no, I think there's a good point because I think to back up there is a level of sexism like there are things that Hillary Clinton is being put through the ringer through that would never even if, even if Bill were running today right there are things people will blame her for stuff Bill has done and then smile in his face as if he's the greatest yes. thing since sliced bread right he has said some very problems she's so much more controlled and and, and has the, the the wherewithal and presence of mind to navigate through certain things that he when you let him out in front of people if he's unscripted his unscripted moments are egregious but everybody excuses it so I do agree that there are some differences in the way we still treat women or in certain positions of power. But that does not mean that the conversation is not more nuanced than, okay, sexism, that's the end of it. And especially when this narrative of sexism is being driven home by Peter Dowu and uh, what's the what's his name, Brock, 
Um, you know, when you have some of the most problematic white men in the game driving home this narrative of sexism and oppression against this rich white woman, this this woman that has always lived a life of privilege, like like you have a it's it, it's problematic on so many different levels. And we feel right, especially as women of color, as black women, we have always held the mantle. We have always been a part of leading the way. And if you're saying that someone's being oppressed and downtrodden, we're always right there to help make sure that doesn't happen anymore. And we need to start evaluating where we not only place our allegiance, where we put our time, our effort, our energy, and our voice behind people. Now, because there are a lot of sisters of all backgrounds that are lining up behind her. Yes, Slay Queen. This is an aside. I'm sorry. I had, I had to say this. My daughter and I talk about it all the time. I don't know where the hell you people why, who watch Game of Thrones. What makes you think that she is that she is a, 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 a you know, Misa? Why, what makes you think she's Khaleesi? <laughs> dragons. I mean, I guess she got a legion of black people follow her around and she done freedom from slavery. Maybe I'll give you that much. But if anything, she is most definitely Cersei Lannister. Her husband would rule the world. She 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 would burn it all down and kill everybody. <laughs> but no, seriously, no. I think and Cersei has faced sexism and, and game hey, of Cersei. Thrones, right? But at the same time, that ain't stopping her, and she's still like burning down the whole damn killing the totally and everything. So, but to put it in perspective, I don't think it's, it's not the end of my world. It's not the end of my life and my activism. If she becomes president, whether or not it's the end of the world, because president's a whole other story. But I do think that we need to keep pressing forward and have this conversation because a rich white woman getting into the pinnacle of American power, into world power, does not necessarily improve my life and alleviate the burdens like we talked about, the intersectionality, which, you know, I've talked about how I hate that word only because of how it's been co-opted primarily yes. by her campaign and supporters yes. to mean something other than what it really is. And we really do have to look at the intersections. We do have to look at the grooves in which things come together. I mean, class, even with, you know, you know, with those of us, I mean, and we're a very educated group of women sitting here talking to you as well, right? But at the same time, we recognize, and I'd love to bring in some other folks, you know, who are working in the area of Fights for 15 and other, just, just other areas because I think we need that increase the diversity of our voices and have that yes. dynamo. But we all have experiences that have helped. I may be sitting here as a lawyer, but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I make minimum wage for lawyers. Like it's not it's not like it's the high life over here either. So 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 I just say that to say that we continue to have these conversations, we continue to bring everyone together. And it's not that these issues do not exist. It's not that she doesn't face increased scrutiny in some areas, but at the same time that does not clean the slate and we do not ignore what she has done that has been negative. Um, so we got five more minutes to go. Um, and I'm going to let everybody get back to enjoying their Sunday. So thank you so much for joining us. But I'll let everyone go around. You guys have final thoughts, comments, ideas for, for future conversations. Um, and then let everybody know where they can find you. Um, I know some of us write through Medium and other, other areas. We're all on Twitter. Um, so I'll just, I'll just turn over to whoever wants to go. Well, I'll, I'll jump in. This is at Womanist Psych, and that's where you can find me on Twitter. And I positively love the idea of continuing to diversify the panel with respect to class and formal education background. I think that's very important. Um, I'm Q. You guys can find me on Twitter at Dr. Qhu, D-R-Q-W-H-O. Um, I enjoy talking with y'all all the time and listening to y'all and just learning 
tons of stuff every time we have these conversations. So I'm here for whatever else you guys want to do. Okay, um, I'll go, I guess. I'm Kieran, Kieran Opal, K-I-R-A-N-O-P-A-L. I would love to hear from anyone uh, who's listening. And as well, I would love to always hear from all the people on the panel. You guys are awesome. I We have a little group that we are all kind of... Well, I, I have you in a special list of my favorite Twitter people. <laughs> so I make sure that I... I try to make sure that I follow you, uh, what you guys say. I, I don't always have the, uh, I'm not always on Twitter, I know it sounds like I am, but I'm not, but um, uh, these are very amazing people and I highly recommend everybody follow everyone, if you're on Twitter, if you're not on Twitter, get on Twitter, um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I love the idea of diversifying and having uh, people of different genders and different uh, class and mm -hmm. ethnic and uh, um, uh, education levels and things like that. Um, I think that there are lots of issues that we can still discuss. I personally would love to have more of a discussion about like um, where the uh, yeah at some point I'm sure we covered some of this but the idea of gender and how it's used by white feminism you know which is a particular kind of feminism mm -hmm. uh, and and what what we what we can do outside of it whether you call yourself a feminist or not but these are still issues that are going to affect us as women um, and I think we need to talk about it more a lot more um, and yeah so I'm open for any conversation just let me know in advance thank you Awesome. So um, I'll go next, and I'm sorry for the weirdness. I, I can't tell which person is going when or what the order is it's, that y'all are seeing. <laughs> like, I have to, I think that's the, the next one. The next one, the lessons learned for, no, the next time I do a big panel like this, I'll, I'll, we'll have to just work on our order when we are <laughs> because it shows up differently on all of our screens. Right, so, yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, my name's Wendy Muse again, and my Twitter feed is MuseWendy or at Muse Wendy, but my Wendy's with an I, not a Y. Um, just really quickly, I think I second everything that uh, the others have said, and I want to just add that I think it would be great to also bring in more voices from around the world, particularly mm -hmm. because there are lots of parallels politically as the rest of the world moves continuously to the right. Um, mm -hmm. And there's also a lot of interesting lessons that we can learn in terms of activism and organizing that come from other parts of the world. So I think linking those those you know, similar struggles um, in terms of organizing and discussion is really important. Thanks. Hello, everyone. Um, so, like I said before, my name is Becky Alfaro. Um, I'm on Twitter at Mimona, which is M-E-N-O-N-A underscore Kojitari, which is C-O-G-I-T-A-R-E. And I write every once in a while at mode of expression at WordPress. Um, I really like the idea of even expanding more the panel. I think it just ties into the idea that we were talking about, uh, about amplifying voices. Our goal is to amplify voices that um, would not be amplified with uh, mainstream media. So I think that's a really great idea. Yeah, definitely. Um, Q, did you go? What? Did you go yeah. already? Yes, okay. I went. Well, that is that is my talented panel of awesomeness, and then also, you know, shout out to Sis Stacy Hopkins who could not make it on the panel with us today, but she was definitely um, doing it up in the comments. 
And uh, we'll definitely get one of these to pull together. You can always check me out Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. on the Benjamin Dixon channel. And also, if you can watch me on my YouTube channel, um, Ben has given me a great platform and is allowing me to help build out while I build up my own um, channel and, and space. Or you can also check out my website, thewayofanoah.com. This episode will be on there. Uh, I'll try to splice it up maybe into two parts. Uh, but but everything I do live stream always ends up on the wayofanoah.com as a podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. So appreciate you all for joining us on this Sunday. Thank you so much. Check us all out on Twitter. Shoot me an email, thewayofanoah at gmail.com. And we are out. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you, everyone. Bye-bye.